name of God, the creator, liberator, and sustainer of the universe. Amen. Preaching on Trinity Sunday, I am reminded of a quote that was attributed to Elizabeth Taylor's fifth husband. The quote came from the first night of their honeymoon, in which he said, I know what is expected I just don't know how to make it interesting. (laughs) We are limited by the language that we have to speak about God. The language that we use to speak of God is not God. In the religious community, we become Christian, for example, as a result of the experience that we have had with the living God. Experience always precedes theology. Our hope is that as human beings in the process of becoming more fully human, that we are open, we are open to being led by the Spirit, which Jesus promises us in our gospel today, will lead us into all truth, new truth, which reminds us again that we do not know all that there is to know about God. Our hope is that we will be willing to realize the limitations and not misuse them. Very often we do misuse the limitations. For example, very often we want to take a certain language about God and encapsulate that language and make it so permanent that it cannot be changed. For example, in patriarchal societies, there is a tendency to say that God can only be spoken of in masculine terms. We know that God is not locked into any gender. We know that God is experienced as both father and mother, sister and brother. We know, we know also that God transcends gender roles. Perhaps we would be better referring to God as transgender than father. However, we very often very often want to lock God into roles. To keep God there, 
we fail to realize that our language and our theology is always in the process of becoming. Always in the process of becoming. In the early Christian community, God was experienced as personal. Now, not everyone liked that. Not everyone liked that. There were those who wanted to make God into a distant, static being who had nothing to do with this dirty world. Those of you who remember the great controversy in the fourth century between Athanasius and Arian, I'm sure that as good Episcopalians and students of church history, you're all familiar with that controversy. But for those of you who aren't, I will lay it out a little bit. Arius wanted a static deity. He wanted a god. He wanted a god who had sort of created the, the world, threw it out, and then remained way off. He could not say that Jesus was divine because that would mean that God got God's hands dirty with the affairs of the world. And so, so Arius opposed Athanasius. But Athanasius carried the day. Athanasius said, the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible is, is personal. Now, personal is, is another form, perhaps, of limiting God. But we also know that as human beings, we have to use certain kinds of language because that's all we have. God is personal, Athanasius said. God enters our world. God enters our world. The, the writer of the eighth chapter of Proverbs, our first lesson this morning, was a, was a poet who was reflecting on God, reflecting on his experience with God. And this is what he said. He said in the very beginning, wisdom. And he doesn't just say wisdom. He says lady wisdom. Lady Wisdom moved in creation and created the world. As this, as this poet who wrote the book of Proverbs is thinking about the world and creation, as he is reflecting on his own experience with God, he refers to God as Lady Wisdom. Earlier, people reflecting on the book of Genesis that comes to the conclusion that God created the heavens and the earth because God wanted children. The early Christian community, people had personally encountered Jesus. They had been set free from demonic forces that controlled their lives. They had known a new kind of love. And they had personally personally decided to follow Jesus. 
the gift of the Holy Spirit comes, of the, comes to us as that which sets our souls on fire, will not leave us, sustains us. And so the early church, the early church says God is personal, God is not abstract. God did not come to us, the church said, as an idea. God came to us as a human being in Jesus. Now, the early church, the early church when it began to encounter the Greek mind in the fourth century, the Greek philosophical mind, had a little problem in terms of describing, describing the faith. And so they began to talk in Greek philosophical language. They began to talk of begotten, not made, three persons, one God. They began to, to, to talk of the same substance of the Father, two natures, one being. And that language very soon became incorporated into creeds and catechisms. And two things happened. Two things happened. The first thing, which is not surprising, is that half the people who heard that language said, I have no idea what it means. And that the doctrine of the Trinity is just too difficult to understand. I don't know what it means, I just believe it. So there was a mystification that occurred. The second thing that happened was that the early Christian community began to lose sight of the experience that had led them to develop the doctrine of the Trinity in the first place. And this is what I want you to know. I want you to know that when the early Christian community reflected on God, and we're in the process of moving toward what we today call the doctrine of the Trinity. They were engaged. They were engaged in a radical call to discipleship. First of all, first of all, the early church said that God is a loving parent. God is a caring brother. God is an empowering sister. And that means God is communitarian. God in God's being is community. God in God's being is a community. And it is a community. It is a community in which there is a circle of love, a dynamic circle of love that is always reaching out, reaching out to set free that which is enslaved and captive. Whether they be slaves in Egypt or people who cannot walk in Palestine. Secondly, they saw that in that community, they were all equals. 
There was no hierarchy in that community. There was no hierarchy. The parent, the brother, the sister are all equal. Now they have different gifts, but they're all equal. They have different gifts, but they're all equal. There is no hierarchy of being. And as we see in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel this morning, there is no possessiveness. Get that, no possessiveness. Jesus said, what belongs to the Father is mine, and what I have I give to the Spirit, and the Spirit gives it to you. No possessiveness. There is total equality and total sharing of holding all things in common. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity changes our lives. It allows us to see that God is not some static, off, distant being. God is a God who cares and loves and is involved in our world in all its brokenness and all its struggle. Jesus, our brother, the Holy Sister, our Holy Spirit, our sister, comes to us, does not leave us alone. St. Gregory the Great said, salvation means that you're becoming friends with God. You're becoming friends with God. The more, the more we move into the model of the Trinity as human beings, the more we become friends with God and the more fully human we become. But the Trinity not only changes our lives and our understanding of the divine, the Trinity also challenges us. The Trinity calls us in the world in which we live to be a countercultural people. The Trinity, there is no hierarchy. In the Trinity, there is no possessiveness. In the Trinity, there is only equal beings. In the Trinity, the primary mission is to reach out to the other. That's the model. And when we are baptized as Christians, we are baptized in the name of the Trinity, which means that we are consecrated to make that model the way we live. Our families, our societies, our churches are all to become Trinitarian models. Equality, no possessiveness, no hierarchy, reaching out to the other. We live in a culture <clears throat> which does not have the Trinity as its primary model. There are groups that do, but by and large we live in a pretty narcissistic culture. We are willing to sacrifice the future for self-gratification. We view the earth as something we can possess rather than being a steward. 
we believe that selfishness is a virtue, that the only way you ever really make it is putting yourself first. We love slogans such as America first. Anything that allows us to focus on ourselves and not on the other. We like to define people by what they possess. And those who possess a lot, we like to call important, and those who don't, not so important. That model stands over against the Christian faith. Trinity Sunday calls us to again look at that into which we were baptized, to realize what God in God's very being is calling us to be. Trinity Sunday calls us to a conversion, to embracing the Trinitarian model as the way we are to live. To be those people who are known by the way they love, who are known by the way in which they share resources, who are known by the way in which they care for creation, and the way in which they consider all human beings brothers and sisters. Let there be peace among us, and let us never be instruments of our own or anyone else's oppression. Amen.